Welcome to Level with Emily Reese. This is music by the composing duo Bob and Barn for the remake of the PlayStation classic Medieval. It's an action-adventure hack-and-slash originally released in 1998. Bob and Barn wrote that music 20 years ago, and then they gave it a makeover for the new version. I originally asked them if either of them thought there'd be a remake of Medieval someday. To be honest, I think we were both pretty sure that would never happen. And in fact, oh, really? in fact, we had fans that would write to us on our Facebook page, constantly asking us to remake the game. And we found ourselves always saying to them, you know, we don't think Sony has any appetite whatsoever to remake this game. It's not going to happen. Sorry. And by the way, it's not our decision to do that. And um, and so nobody was more surprised than us when um, the announcement came in that they were actually rebooting the game. So, yeah, we, we never expected it. Exactly, exactly to reiterate what Bob has said. Um, we were asked, we were obviously, I mean, it was a franchise we never thought at the time, it was like one of just three games we were doing at the time, would effectively become a more sort of a legacy. They, uh, <clears throat> it was the only game we worked on where there was a sequel. In fact, there were two sequels. And just as, as Bob said, we were asked many, many, many times. In fact, at one point, we had to get a, a guy from Sony to write a quote for us to say, please, guys, stop asking us because it's, we don't think it's going to happen. But uh, yeah, so exactly what Bob said. We were as surprised as anyone. In fact, I didn't believe it. In fact, I remember when I looked at my phone at about six in the morning and just saw a message someone saying, uh, there's another reboot of Medieval. Because people make things like fake trailers, which I've never quite understood. And we looked at a trailer for the game and it didn't look like it was anything. We hadn't seen any new footage, so I assumed it was fake. And then an hour later, I got a message saying, no, it's nothing to do with us, it's all fine. I said, actually, I think it is real. And then sent a link to a, uh, I think it was a PlayStation a Sony conference in America with Sean Layden, uh, the global chairman, and said, I've got a surprise for you. And he opened his uh, jacket and on his T-shirt was the uh, was Dan Fortescue. And I was like, ooh, okay, maybe that is now le legitimate. I mean, the music is so iconic from it. The instrumentation was great then, and it's just magnificent to hear it with so many live instruments now. So that must have been a treat to, to get to, you know, orchestrate it for an actual orchestra. Yeah, yeah, well, we did actually manage to do that um, back in the day in 2004, was it 2005, when we did Medieval Resurrection. Um, that was maybe, I think, this, maybe the second project, possibly the third project we'd been out and recorded in Prague. And um, it was a wonderful experience to do it then because it, that was the first time we'd really heard the music come together with a live symphony orchestra at such high fidelity. Um, so, so now it was kind of strange to do it this time because these are basically 20 year old pieces of music that, you mm. know, that in hindsight, we look back on them and we feel like they're a little bit naive in some way, you know, like we wouldn't probably write like that anymore, 20 years on. And initially our idea was let's, let's do something new. And we actually wrote a piece of music initially, um, that was, that was quite different. It started off with the graveyard music and then it gradually 
uh, morphed into something quite different. And it was a, effectively a completely new track. And we sent this off to Sony and they liked it. Um, they, they said, at, at least it shows we've got the right guys on the job because it was right in that world again. But they said the other thing that it's told us is that um, actually we, we can't have new music on this. We've got to be faithful to the original game. So I'm very sure there's a lot of diehard fans out there uh, that are really grateful for Sony making that decision because then we decided to go much more st strictly with the original pieces. And then it was a case of sitting down and uh, we didn't have any of the original MIDI or any of the original sessions, of course. I mean, this is 20 years ago. <laughs> yeah. So we're having to do uh, what we call takedowns of our own music from stereo tracks from 20 years ago and having to work out what the music was again. <laughs> I mean, so weird having to do, but, but great fun. And, um, you know, it, of course, it brought a lot of the nostalgia back for us too. Sure. Were there any moments that, you know, you kind of referenced that you wouldn't maybe write that way now. So were there moments where you literally were just like, what in the hell were we thinking? And did you fix some things, just tweak a couple of things here and there? Or did you just let it all go? Uh, I, I would say it's a combination of both. We did look at it and sort of go, oh, my God. I mean, hopefully, let's be honest. I mean, if you think of any professional aircraft where you go, let's re-examine what you did 20 odd years ago. You would hope that you'd sort of maybe have progressed, hopefully improved in those 20 years. Especially from my perspective, sure. that it was the uh, the first game, the medieval game, uh, was the first time that we'd ever been asked to write in an orchestral style. Now, it's quite you know, fortunate we studied music and everything else. So we were aware of how it all worked, but most of the music we've done has been more in the more traditional sort of gaming style. So the first thing we got was... Um, uh, because the director of the game, uh, the designer, Chris Sol, is very good. He was very good at um, uh, knowing exactly what he wanted for a game. So he knew that the visual references were going to be from, well, predominantly from the game Ghouls and Ghosts and the film Nightmare Before Christmas. So therefore, the iconic Danny Elfman score uh, yeah. for all of his films became a very, very strong um, um, reference point for us. So the first thing we had to do was sit there and go with our, well, what at the time was effectively one synthesizer and one sampler, try to analyse and work out how the hell he did what he did and why it was so good and why it worked so well and sort of extrapolate what we thought were the, uh, <coughs> the formulas, I suppose, that he, uh, that he worked with and, uh, yeah. and then try to apply them in our very naive 20 or one year old, you know, much younger selves and going, how the hell do we do this? Uh, but at the same time, create and evolve and, and go with the times. It was, I think, the, one of the first games we'd written for the PlayStation. So it was in that case. But we'd also managed to figure out how to do some, you know, doing proper CD quality music, effectively, rather than doing anything um, um, just for chip music. I'm, I'm waffling. Gary, what, what was your first, what was your actual question, really? <laughs> well, the, I, I, can I just interject? There was, there was one other thing. There's another point that this, this, uh, this, creativity thing swings both ways sometimes you look back on old music and feel like it's a bit naive and that you could do something much more involved and you know much more impressive now but at the same time your your sort of 47 year old person kind of looks back on some of that stuff with nostalgia and, and feels I, so I find myself feeling sometimes like I lack creativity and, and that maybe I'm rehashing the same things all the time. And I look back on those old days, um, you know, with rose-tinted glasses, thinking, wow, we, you know, I wish, I wish I could come up with something like that now. And yet you get both feelings at the same time, which is a real contradiction. But, you know, the, for example, the graveyard tune. 
it's very, very simple, the way it starts and, and, and the way it progresses as well. And um, also, I, I, I mean, we, we've called all of these tunes different things in, in time. What, what was um, Medieval, medieval In-Game 5 Barn? Which level did that go on? You mean Cemetery Hill? Cemetery Hill, is that it? Okay, so it was a waltz. And, you know, we wrote a waltz, but very, very simple, very simple harmonies. It did one key change in the middle and then went back again. Just really, really simple. And we've done way more complicated stuff than that since. Mm -hmm. But I guess some some of the beauty in, in that early music is in its simplicity. And um, there's always a temptation sometimes to try and get a bit too clever. Now, both of you have some classical training. Bob, I know you uh, played trumpet, and uh, you seem like you might have a little bit more of a technology background, though, than Barn. Is that is that an, a correct assessment from back in the day, maybe early on, or...? Actually, not really. If anything, I'd say it's the other way around. I mean, Barn was building PCs, and um, he he gotten into the games industry in the in the very early nineties. I think nineteen ninety, and and I came into it sort of six years later. I'd do, I'd done some programming at university and that kind of thing, so that's probably where you're getting that from. But I mean, in terms of the world of games and stuff, I'd say actually the the more technical person was Barn. Gotcha. More nerdy. Happy to admit that. Thirty years to ago, build I'm not PCs happy because of Bob. Now, I'm happy to admit it. I was massively nerdy when I was a kid. I was. I was programming Commodore 64s and machine code in the mid 80s, and getting involved in the demo scene and all that stuff. So yes, you're absolutely right from the perspective. Of on paper, uh, Bob was more um, more technically um, has more technical uh, qualifications than I do. But my stuff was definitely. I was definitely a, uh, an avid home computer user, Commodore 64 in 1986, Amiga in 1990. Emily, if, you're, if your statement had been that I'm far more intelligent, then I'd have to agree <laughs> with that, yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, what I, I mean, what I'm getting from this nerdy, because you played oboe too, right, Barn? Yes. Because that's pretty nerdy. And... Uh, I think a trumpet's quite nerdy, if I'm honest. <laughs> all right. You're, Trump, you're trumpeters are the rock stars of every there. big band. You can't say that. <laughs> So many individual tracks. I, I had have just such lovely little instrumental uh, writing, and that's a huge credit to you guys. Twenty years ago, that's for sure. Um, you know that you've been writing for another twenty is pretty amazing. So, uh, like, uh, I want to talk about this track called "After a Nice Long Nap," which is track number three on your soundtrack. Just if that helps. Um, this is again an interesting limitation. Back in 1998, we wanted to do different tracks for each levels, but when they were designing the levels, in fact, we had already written music. So, in fact, we were writing tunes 
Oh, that's why Bob asked earlier what's Meg 5, because none of the levels were finished, so we simply just started writing medieval tracks, <laughs> looking at the various artwork around the, uh, around the studio. Yeah. But then we just called them MIG, which is medieval in-game, because we had no idea where they were going to go. <laughs> and the one thing we didn't like is the fact that, I don't believe, uh, I can't remember what happened at the time, but the Dan's Crypt, which is the, your first level in the game, which is like your introductory level, you just, just like, you know, just go and read some books, pick up a, um, pick up a weapon, mm -hmm. and then go through. Had the same music as Graveyard, which is the first actual level in the game. And I was like, I'm not so keen on that. I don't like the repetition. One thing I really hate as a games composer has always been the notion of repetition, because it's something which just pulls you out of the experience. And so hearing the same track, I was like, I'm not so keen on that. Mm -hmm. And so when, when it came to doing Medieval Resurrection, which was the uh, PSP game, we actually wrote a, um, a completely cool piece. There was actually no uh, instruments at all, apart from a choir, just for the dance script. And then when we came to doing this version, we're like, well, do we do that version, do that version? And they weren't actually that keen on that, that choir thing. So I said, how about then we add a choir to uh, the graveyard track, the original graveyard track, which we can then take bits of and do much more interesting things. And yeah, that's a brilliant idea. So then that's effectively what you're listening to now is the choir which accompanies the new graveyard track. with the clarinet and the harp and the glockenspiel. I just love all the little lines you wrote for that. So can you talk to me about, um, you know, did you use Elfman, his music uh, or his instrumentation as inspiration as well? I mean, I would happily wholeheartedly sit there and go hands up to the man and go, yes, we thought we were absolutely adored his work. Yeah. It wasn't just him. We had elements of, I also bought Elliot Goldenthal soundtrack to Interview with a Vampire and Wasjek Kielar's superb soundtrack to the Dracula film Francis oh, Coppola yeah, from 1992, yeah. which I loved. Christopher Easy. Young as well. We were listening to some Hellraiser as well, weren't we, at times? <gasps> Young Hellraiser, yeah, yeah. So there yeah. was, there and that's the interesting thing because music, I mean, there's so much of the music which we were, basically music in these kind of, in those days, it was effectively what I like to think of as all icing on a visual cake, where because the music didn't actually reflect what was going on during the game, it was more the case of I'm simply going, here's a nice pretty level which looks a bit like this, how about that goes with that? And in those instances, we were simply just choosing what kind of feeling and what kind of mood we were going to do. So for me, the interesting thing about Medieval was the tone, because it did veer from more balls out horror to actual straight out comedy. There were real times where they couldn't quite, is Dan funny, is it gonna make him serious and everything else. So in those instances, things like, uh, so the Elfman stuff, which was uh, which was much more of the kind of, well I think it was kind of gothic comedy, was clearly much more influenced us when we went to that direction. But when we went to start on the horror stuff, then we started listening to more um, the Dracula and the, um, Vampire soundtrack and Hellraiser. Gotcha. So it was a combination of things, but yeah, I can totally hands up and say we loved Elfman mm. stuff. And in fact, what we what we loved particularly about it was orchestrations, which was something we had never really done before, had never really needed to, and seeing how how you will just take a very simple motif and then just within no that eight bars completely reorchestrate it for a different part of the orchestra. 
And it literally would be going, oh, I'm going from I'm going from the Ivy Woodwinds, a little bit of uh, percussion, a bit of glockers below the top. Then I'm going to go strings and a bit of low low bassoons and a little bit of uh, maybe a bit of brass. And then within another eight bars, does, does the same melody. And the way he constructs a melody which kind of goes through these different um, colour palettes in a very short period of time was something we definitely took very much yeah. on board. I mean, just to add to that, um, I've always felt that orchestration is also quite intuitive, though. It's it's not something that, I mean, there are books on how to orchestrate, but actually most of the time it's just about rolling your sleeves up and getting in there and having a go. And, you know, it's not hugely rocket science. I remember we, we, did, um, we did the score for a, a game called Kung Fu Chaos back in the day, and we needed to do a little brass section for it i was talking to a friend of mine who who was also experienced in that area and i said uh you know we were fearful of what we needed to do for this and we also had a little string section as well just three or four players and i said to him you know i listen to a lot of this funk music and it just sounds like they're playing octaves to me and he went if it sounds like they're playing octaves they're probably playing octaves and it was just a lesson to me in in understanding that you know trust your ears trust your instincts and and I think that's something we've we've always followed through with. So yes, we're heavily influenced by all these guys, but at the same time we kind of, you know, we did what instinctively felt right. Tell me about the division of labor then, because it sounds like both of you have a hand in orchestration. We both have a hand in both sides of it, actually. Yeah. Um, when when we were writing this music at Sony back in 1998, we were both working in the same studio side by side. Um, one of us, usually Barn, actually would sit and you know jam something out on the piano, and then I would sit down and... Um, take elements of that and develop it and orchestrate it out to a few instruments and Barn would come back and you know work with that and build on that into the next section and so on and it just kind of got built that way it was very much a collaborative process and to some degree I mean that's that's what we've always done but now we have two studios and sometimes we're under such time pressures that having two studios and working independently is the only way to get the workload done. And um, that's kind of sort of what happened here where um, we, you know, obviously we've got already agreed and accepted themes within Medieval and we both understand the language of the game, the musical language of the game. So it was quite possible for us to go away and write independently, just again, just to satisfy deadlines and get things done.
I'd love to talk about the, uh, I think it might be the very final. Well, okay. It's the one with Crumhorn in it. <laughs> so over to you, Bon. Please, please tell me it's a real Crumhorn. <laughs> yes. It is indeed a real Crumhorn. Well, this is an interesting one because I'll go back to the, the original game. Uh, bless, bless them for uh, wanting to continue literally do a complete remake in terms of not only was it the story and everything else, but all the many of the, the sequences, the FMV sequences, the video sequences from the game, also they wanted to re- recreate the story. And I was, <laughs> I remember this back, I think it was must, yeah, probably very late at night, around at least seven or eight o'clock in the evening. The one of the guys and the animators coming in goes, yeah, we've got to go and, this is back in 1987 or whatever, we've got to go, we've got to deliver a gold disc to Japan or something tomorrow morning. And they said, here's a new version of the game. And they'd added this new sequence. Which he hadn't told us about, and it was basically when Dan they, uh, Dan goes up and he's, he's he, um, uh, yes he goes to the Hall of Heroes. It's fact, it's right at the end of the game. The Hall of Heroes. He goes and rejoins all of his um, cronies. He's, he's, he's earned his place uh, in the rightful place. And when the guys have done a wonderful little job of animating it as a proper medieval banquet, into this this this, this, this big huge um, sort of banqueting hall and sees everyone playing and there's uh, I think there's a, uh, a horse jumping around someone a minstrel playing a, what looks to be a lute or mandolin just walking across a nice big um, open big table so that so we had to just work that out and take all uh, work out the timings of animation and go I have no idea how to actually write medieval as in traditional medieval music, I have no idea. At that point, we had uh, <laughs> access to the uh, live music CDs from various libraries. Carlin, I think, was the biggest one we had. And they were all kind of stored up in the loft of the, in the studio. So we had to go fish out one, just literally looked up in the, in, in, the, um, in, the, in the directory and said, what have they got medieval music? Kind of worked out, extrapolated what I thought was a rough formula of writing, that kind of stuff. Went and recorded playing some very simple instruments. Again, had no budget to record any players for this so it's literally a case of what doesn't sound too bad on our Roland JV uh, synthesizer or oh, a flute sounds okay I can just about get away with that in fact I also played uh, I think it was a, a tambourine a very bass tambourine the samples we had were pretty terrible so I went actually in the in the uh, live room and recorded myself just playing a little tambourine in fact I actually dropped the tambourine which became an interesting point later because <laughs> when Dan turns up and walks into this hall of heroes everyone stops it's that t- typical neat you know the record player stops everyone looks around yes. and at that point everything everything stops in the game and they so I decided well what how do we make this sound like everyone? The music's all stopped before he then just jumps across the table and goes up to the end. But uh, and it turns out that the when I dropped this tambourine, it made I, I was I was still recording at the time, and it made this wonderful kind of clatter across the ground. And it, when he turned up, we had all the instruments going, do you know, sort of stopping and tailing off notes. And I left a gap for this nice tambourine fall to fall down. <laughs> and uh, then he goes up in the sky. Point we had it was just done very basically. So when we knew they were going to do it again, I said, well, now I can do it properly. Did some homework and uh, found a, a lovely girl, authentic um, player, Lizzie Cotter, I think might be him. Authentic player, someone recommended to me, who played a crumb horn. Uh, what else do we have? Medieval fiddles. And I've actually got pictures of the instruments. I think they nice. might, hopefully, they might all be included in the soundtrack version of the game. Yes, and I just said to her, let's see what we can do to try and create, create this thing. Typically, uh, when they told us, when we knew we were going to record this, the animations weren't finished, so I had to just sort of roughly guess the timings. In fact, they sent me a lovely video of the, uh, of the bank hall, completely empty, with some <laughs> with just a text saying, Dan jumps here. 
and then it then it goes and then it goes music stops here so and just literally had to recreate all these sounds but i could now do it properly and i mean at one point when i was right when i was writing it i just had you know the benefit of 20 years of technology i can now sit there and just go youtube and go medieval music medieval music so i just immersed myself in about there's like hours and hours of it on youtube and so I just listened to all of it and worked out well, how does that work and everything else. And yeah, I just went and recorded a set of authentic instruments for it. And of course, <laughs> to finish this little, little skit, made sure that I dropped the tambourine for this new version as well. Uh, the clarinetist that played throughout was fa- fantastic too, and there's a really great solo in. Is it? I think the name is "Making Mad." It's kind of about two thirds of the way through, if that helps at all. But uh, just it, lovely, yes. lovely yeah. clarinet solo in there. Yeah, again, because he was he was um, that was again something which we just oh, I can't remember exactly how they came up. I think he's a lovely, brilliant local player uh, called Julian Landamore. He again he does, he mostly does saxophones for us, but I said. There's a few lines here which we want to record separately. This is the beauty of doing it now. Everything was done in stems. We could do individual parts. And I got him to play a live track. I forget exactly why. Maybe a version we had recorded wasn't didn't come out so well. And as a result, while he was there, I said, you know what? You're a great player. Why don't you just go and have a little jam? So he just jammed over part of it. And I went, hmm, this is something which we could add to other, other tracks in the game. Not many, but a few. Because that was the only interesting thing. It was coming back to these tracks from 20 years ago and what can we do with them now? We knew that they wanted to retain the essence of them. We were kind of keen to our new tracks, but we knew that we had to pretty much stick with at least the, what, the essence of what those tracks were, pull the rest of it apart and worked out what lines could we add, what instruments could we add to make, the, make these tracks, well, give them a hell of a lot more scope so that when the player does progress through each of the levels, the music does indeed progress with them. Fortunately, I think actually we just about managed to do that. So you mentioned that you recorded in Prague for the third game, uh, the PSN, or not PSN, uh, PSP game. Um, did you record in Prague again this time around? Purely Lovely. for, purely yes, we for did, yeah. um, consistency. Because also we knew that there were, wasn't going to be enough money or time to go and redo every single level. It would make perfect sense to use the live orchestral recordings we've already done for the game. So we had we managed to get at least the rough microphone layout. They weren't recorded in stems back in 2004. It was all done in one room. But in fact, it also made ours a bit more difficult because it turned out that we, because we weren't doing it to any sort of interactive thing, no, no, because there weren't any stems, we had our lovely, wonderful, amazing conductor and orchestrator Nick Ray and said, just do it wild. So it wasn't even recorded to click. So at that point then, make um, trying to add new stuff to this new material underneath it when it wasn't recorded to click made our lives a hell of a lot more difficult.
mean, it's always a great pleasure to, to go and record with the Prague Philharmonic. And I mean, one of the things that I particularly enjoyed was tracks that we'd written 20 years ago that would all, had always been heard only in synth. To hear them being brought alive by the orchestra, by our, our orchestrator and conductor Nick Rain, sitting in the, at, the, at the helm of the orchestra and, and, and just hearing them just playing those first few notes while they're warming up. It's just an amazing feeling to be sitting in the control room. It just puts a massive smile on your face. And we had the whole team out there with us. Um, David Thatch came out, George Weising, Jeff Nakbar, and, and Monty Mudd, who we worked very closely with throughout the entire creation of the soundtrack. And, and he was very involved on the technical side. He was leading the team um, on the implementation of the music. And we had some input with that. We, we flew out to the States. And I mean, that was just a wonderful experience to, to see them in, in their environment, um, doing their jobs, you know, incredibly well. I mean, just amazing. Scott Bergstrom as well was um, mixing the music for us. And I mean, all of those guys just absolutely smashed it out the park for us. Mm. So, I mean, it's it's fair to say um, it's, it's, it's a, a massive collaborative process. And, you know, sometimes um, you get a bit of imposter syndrome where you feel, you know, you, it's your name at the top. But, I mean, all these people were involved and they all brought their A-game to make it sound as good as it does. And, you know, we, we played a part in that, but so did all of these other guys. And by the way, if we're saying thank you, we should also say a massive thank you to Sean Layden because if it hadn't been for Sean, this thing would probably have never happened because mm. Sean always loved this game. And he told us that while, while we were out in the States. Sean's the, the president of Sony Interactive Entertainment and he told us that he'd always loved this game. And so he sent an email to David Thatch just saying, medieval, question mark. And it all started from that. <laughs> so a massive thank you to, to Sean for believing in the game and believing in all of us. the recordings it was a long session we had about four or five days with the orchestra about 30 hours of recording and we're normally sort of like and as, as, as bob said yes we thought it was just gonna be monty the music editor and supervisor who's brilliant amazing uh we're just going to come up with us but it turns out as you say lots of very senior people came out jeff nabo was the producer of the game at other ocean um george weishing is the director of uh, sony interactive one of the directors there and david hatch is the i think he was a vp of some of they're, they're very senior Tony. <laughs> lovely chaps a little camera set up. Uh, so I've actually yet to see this, but uh, if there's the deluxe version of the game comes with this, uh, one of the things you can get with it is a soundtrack app, which has all of the music on it, as well as all the recordings and various interviews and something else. So it's quite interesting. But apparently what you can do is they you can even listen to the various bits of the recordings and compare it to the actual version of which is in the game and anything else. So 
Well, and they were basically, because they filmed everything, we normally at the end of it can go in and say, um, thank you to the orchestra, and they film us, and blah, blah, blah. As, we, as I walked in there, the, uh, uh, Nick Ray and I love the conduct orchestra, said, Bon, why don't you go and conduct? I was like, oof, no, 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 that's, that's, that's a real person, John, no, I can't do that. No, 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 go on. And he gave me about 10 seconds of walk as, uh, of how to conduct, and then I went in there, and I stood, and I was... I can't. Can I swear on the show? I don't really want to swear. Like, I, I, yeah, I, of course you I, can. I, if I, you I like. shitting myself like that. Uh, I go, oh my god, <laughs> it's weird when you have all this best part about about eighty or people looking at you, and um, and I just had a little go, and it was that was a, a strange moment because the thing which I ended up conducting was the the last twenty odd seconds from the intro from the actual F and V of the game, which was one of the tracks which was originally written back for nineteen ninety eight. Again, updated and everything else for this. So again, hearing something you'd written in 1998 and then standing in front of it 21 years ago, conducting it yourself, was a definite bucket list moment. point did you two realize that you really wanted to just stay a team of composers was it pretty much right away from the first project you realized you know your creative energy or how did that play out you know we've ne we've never questioned it i mean we we came together when we worked in-house at sony we discussed while we were there that we would set up a business together and we saved money from bonuses and things to buy gear and we did that and then we went freelance I mean, it, you know, it comes with its trials and tribulations. It's like a marriage, you know. We, we throw plates at each other sometimes. But, um, <laughs> but on the whole, you know, I mean, I think we both um, realise and enjoy the fact that, you know, we, we have strengths where the other one has weaknesses. And, you know, we, we see music and hear music in a different way. We approach it with different influences. And, and when we genuinely collaborate and sit together we come up with something that neither one of us would have done without the other plus one thing that we found is a massive advantage to us is that having the two of us when when things get really busy like we're, we're very busy at the moment we've got a, a pilot for a tv show another tv show which just came in today um we're finishing off a feature film i mean it's it just gets nuts sometimes and when it gets like that, I mean, I, I, you'd just go insane if it was just you on your own trying to deal with all these things and deal with contracts and deal with PR on a previous project which has finished. And, you know, you, you just couldn't handle it all. So we, we found it's always, on many levels, it's always worked very well for us. Well, Bob and Barn, what a pleasure to speak with you both. And uh, I, I really appreciate uh, your time tonight. And you too, Emily. Thank you. You're very welcome. Pleasure.
Thanks for listening to episode 120 of Level with Emily Reese. You can learn more about Bob and Barn at bobandbarn.com. And you can see a playlist at patreon.com slash level. I'm Emily Reese. Sam Keenan is our producer. Say hi, Sam. Hi. You can follow us on Twitter and Facebook at Level with Emily and learn more about us at levelwithemily.com, made possible by Adam Selvage at Tiki Web Services and composer Brad Gentle. Level with Emily Reese is a production of June Media, Inc.